The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Wow, thank you. It is good to be here this morning. I've heard great things about The Springs Church, but I have this is better. I've never been here, so glad to be here this morning. Wish my whole family could be here uh, joining us this morning as well. Had a few questions about the weather this week. I imagine you did here as well. Your forecast had more snow in it than Fort Worth did, but we ended up getting more ice, I think, than you guys did. It doesn't take too much ice to make me wonder, am I going to make it to Oklahoma City Saturday night? Uh, Celeste and Ben and I were on a Zoom call together just praying about your missions month, praying about today especially. And as we were talking about the weather as part of that prayer, uh, ben said, well, hey, if you get stuck, we'll just, we'll just fire up the, the helicopter. We'll come get you wherever you're at. So as it was getting colder, and as I got off a little later than I had planned yesterday afternoon, it was, uh, you know, I was looking at the temperature outside on my little, you know, dashboard, and I was like, okay, we're below freezing now. Maybe I should just text Ben and tell him to fire up the helicopter just to make him kind of sweat for a moment, so... Thankfully, the roads were clear. Everything was great. This is a beautiful, beautiful morning here. I hope the same for Fort Worth this morning, too. Open up your Bibles, if you would, whether you've got it on your phone or uh, old-style printed version still works, too, right? Uh, But John chapter 1 is what we're going to look at here in just a moment. John chapter 1. And if you weren't able to be in class this morning, for whatever reason, maybe you were teaching kids, uh, maybe you were coming over later this morning, but I wanted to share a little bit about what I shared more of in that class about the organization that I work for, Eastern European Mission. As you can see on this slide, this is just a snapshot of what we've been doing uh, since 1961, when about 14 young people, seven married couples, went from Abilene Christian College, as it was called at the time, took the call and the challenge of Otis Gatewood and believed that they were called by God to go, in their case, to Vienna, Austria. And when they got there, they started a church, but within just a few months, they realized, we think God actually has us here to smuggle Bibles into communist Russia where you can be killed or detained or put in prison for simply owning a Bible. So we stand on the shoulders of some men and women who took great risk. We heard a story Just last year was our 60th anniversary, and so we interviewed some of those that are still living from that 14 that started EEM. And one lady, her husband has long since passed, but she said, you know, we had a VW bus, and we would would put our kids to sleep and know that we'd have them asleep when we crossed the checkpoint because all of those Bibles hidden underneath the mattress in the back of our VW bus were never found if our kids were asleep. Those Russian guards didn't want to wake up the kids. And I heard that story and I thought, I've got kids. That doesn't sound right. But that was my human nature, right? They were so faithfully committed to the call of of their forego that in their lives, they were ready to sacrifice their own and even their own kids. So, So we're inspired by what people have done that have gone before us. And we're amazed by what God is doing right now as well. Last year, in the the second year of a pandemic, 
God gave us our best year ever. We had 1.53 million people receive Bibles and books from us last year, all of them asking for them, and far more than that, actually, asking for them. That's all of the money that we had to print Bibles and distribute them with, 1.53 million. Our European team, which is led by Bart Rabinsky, many of you may know Bart and, and uh, Tamika, who are OC graduates. That We had a video earlier in class that had them in it, but uh, Bart leads that whole team in Europe of ours, uh, 25 people, and he asked them all to submit their budget requests for this year. This was last October, submitted all their budget requests just based on requests for this year. Guess how many people have already, in 2022, are waiting for a Bible? 2.4 million. That would be about twice our budget of last year. But God doesn't bow to any budgets, right? We, we make our best plans, and God can do whatever he wants. Uh, but we're amazed at the open doors. I didn't realize Eastern Central Europe was such a hungry and receptive place. But that's often what happens when you go through 70, 80 years of an attempt to force atheism on an entire population of the world. You become hungry for the light. You become hungry for the truth, the very thing that's being withheld from you. So, pretty amazing to think that Bard and his team have lowered the cost, but it's about $5 that will publish, print, and distribute one Bible for a child, for an adult, for an orphan, for a public school student, for a seeker, for a, a new Christian. And so, we are thankful to be involved in giving the good news to people who want it. And as much as we need money to provide Bibles, we need prayer even more. This year, in fact, I am recruiting 2,000 prayer warriors. As you can see here on the screen, this is just from our website. But over here on this table, I have got, I don't know, about 75 to 100 prayer guides. And there's more than 100 of you here. I would love it if every single one of those prayer guides disappeared today into your hands. And you may have a coworker who's a believer and who might be willing to pray with you for 30 days. It's just designed to lead you uh, for praying for each of the countries that we serve, one country a day. You can start this today. You could start it in June. But it's a beautiful prayer guide that, that we believe will be perhaps the second most powerful thing we've ever printed other than the Bible. Because prayer is something we so often underestimate. Nicky Gumbel is one of my favorite authors, and he had a great quote here about intercessory prayer. He says, intercessory prayer is an act of love. History belongs to the intercessors. You can shape your generation through prayer. You can influence the course of history. So maybe this will just be one way that we can do this, but let's stop underestimating the power of that God unleashes even through prayers of ours. Thank you for considering joining this prayer army, serving the 370 million people that live in those 30 countries that we have the honor of serving. One more thing about EEM, another thing that you can pray about, what we call Bibles for Kids. 
This is the third year that we've done this, but this is the biggest project we have ever had, giving Bibles to kids. As you can see on the screen here, 800,000. We had a lot more requests than that, but this is what we're committed to in our budget this year. We've made promises that 800,000 kids will receive these Bibles, 19 different languages. And soon, we pray by March 1st, we will have the first million and a half of this project committed so that every single gift after that time will actually be matched. And any gift that you or others might make will end up causing twice as many Bibles to reach twice as many kids. So I hope that you'll pray for this project. Okay, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was God, uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. For as long as I can remember, I have been captivated by lighthouses, and growing up in Portland, Oregon only helped that. My favorite lighthouse, you know, I'm probably within a four or five hour drive of at least six uh, lighthouses, and my favorite is this one, Southern Oregon Cape Blanco Lighthouse. I did not take this picture. That was the perfect day, and Oregon has a lot of rain, so this was a rare moment that they got this picture. But the reason that it's my favorite lighthouse is because this is where I proposed to my wife in 2001. We went back a few years ago and reenacted that proposal. And I guess I should say it is my favorite lighthouse because this is where she said yes. I didn't have to propose more than once, but that was an awfully good day in my life. And I think she would say in hers as well. But beyond my engagement and just the sheer beauty of lighthouses, there's two big reasons why I just love lighthouses. Number one, just practically speaking, they save people's lives. And a lot have been decommissioned, and yes, we've got GPS and technology, but many of them are still active. And sailors and all sorts of people out on the ever-changing waters rely on a fixed point to be able to navigate by, to avoid shipwreck. So lighthouses save lives. But secondly, spiritually speaking, even more so at least for me, that shaft of light that a lighthouse beams out for everyone to see in all directions, it's just, it's just to me one of the most powerful reminders of Christ, the light of the world, right? Right? Colossians 1.13 talks about walking in light, and then it says, For he, God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom 
and forgave our sins. That's the gospel right there. And it's all about living in the kingdom of light. So a lighthouse beautifully shows us not just Jesus, the light of the world, but, but takes us deeper into our purpose, our calling as disciples of Jesus. We've been transferred from a doomed, dark, sinful kingdom into the kingdom of light where all is new. We're now called to shine that light of Christ boldly for all to see so that all will have the chance at least to be rescued and transferred from darkness into light. John chapter 9 verse 5 says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Then in another setting, on the Sermon on the Mount, as we call it, Matthew 5, 14, Jesus also says, you are the light of the world. Found another verse that was disturbing to me as I just looked at light passages, John 3, 19. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. There's a group in Nashville called Lifeway Research, and they interviewed a swath representing all of the 330-some-odd million Americans that we have, not just those proclaiming to be Christians, but everyone, and they interviewed them about their Bible reading habits. They found a lot of information, but the part that stood out to me the most was that more than half of Americans have never read their Bible before or have read it very little. But then they went to a group that you would expect would be reading their, their Bibles a lot more. They went to those who would identify themselves as Protestant Christians going to church at least three times a month. Surprisingly, as you can see, if you add up the last few bars there, a full 40% of this church-going group read the Bible once a week or less. And 12% of these dedicated church-going Americans rarely or never read a Bible. Not sure if they even own one. The researchers had a lot more to say in, in their research, but two sentences really stood out to me. One was, overall, Americans seem to like the Bible, but don't have much urgency about reading it. And the other standout for me was, Americans are fond of the Bible, but don't actually read it. Ugh. So if that's the state of America, how can someone boldly shine the light of the gospel to what feels at times like an increasingly dark and lost world when they're not even spending time in God's word on any regular basis? Makes me think of the flashlight that my daughter thought was dead, but it was just the batteries that needed replacing, not the whole light. Choosing not to be in God's presence regularly is like choosing to be a dim or broken lighthouse. You lose your purpose. 
Well, Christ died not only for us to be saved, but so that we, the saved, would be shining the light in this dark and lost world, sharing the good news with people everywhere. So this morning, we're going to look a little bit more about at what it was like for Christ to be the light and try to draw some conclusions for us. Maybe the Spirit will speak to you this morning about what being light for you looks like as well. So what was being the light of the world like for Jesus? You think about this journey from heaven to earth, what, you know, what we call the incarnation. We can't really do anything but imagine it because none of us has been to heaven, but for Jesus and for anyone ever, it's the most humbling journey that there's ever been. If you were to grow up in a grand castle like this one and, and have everything that you needed, a stable family, a wonderful provision of, of everything that you would need, but then later would choose to, to live and go to the slums of Calcutta, that journey from castle to the slums would be like nothing compared to the journey that Jesus made from the grandeur of heaven that we only can imagine to the horse trough in Bethlehem as he came into this world. Philippians 2, starting in verse 6, says, His state was divine. And yet he did not cling to his equality with God, but emptied himself to assume the condition of a slave and became as we are. And being as we are, he was humbler yet, even to accepting death, death on a cross. As soon as Jesus came to earth, these forces of darkness, Satan and all of his demons focused all their efforts on snuffing out the light. Began with King Herod. Matthew chapter 2 verse 16 says, King Herod sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and younger. Can you imagine if there was a decree for all of the Oklahoma City area to have the baby boys that are two years and younger killed? I mean, this is what Jesus was born into, and it was because news reached King Herod that this Messiah had come, that he issued this decree. And so an angel comes to Joseph, and Joseph and Mary and Jesus escape as refugees to Egypt until King Herod died. But the work of darkness had begun trying to snuff out the light. And finally, some 30, 32 years later, Christ was killed by his own Jewish people. When Jesus was killed on that cross, it was obvious darkness had won. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one that everyone thought would lead them to victory against the Roman oppression. He was dead. 
sealed in a tomb, and two days of pure darkness proved it. But a third day came. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Most of you know the story. They found that Jesus was alive. So again, Philippians 2, But God raised him high and gave him the name which is above all other names, so that all beings in the heavens, on earth, and in the underworld should bend the knee at the name of Jesus and that every tongue should acclaim Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. A few days after Jesus' resurrection, as Jesus left the earth and ascended into heaven, he told his, at that time, 11 apostles and indirectly told all of us and all generations of his followers to go be light to everyone, everywhere. Matthew 18, uh, 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So now Jesus has ascended, the, the baton has been passed, and the Holy Spirit has been given. We are the light. So what does being the light look like for you and for me today? It's like Anton. Anton and his mother live in Siberia. They regularly host Bible study groups with children at their apartment, and Anton was excited to give the free gift of Bibles and Bible activity books like you see in this picture to all of his friends when they come weekly to their home. Anton's mother sent this photo of Anton sharing a prayer of thanks to God for the ministry of EEM. Whew. That'll get me through this year at least. We've all been just deeply touched by a simple thank you note and a picture at EEM. And we just praise God for both the hearts of Anton and his mom to make Jesus known to their neighbors. This is what being the light looks like right now for Anton. What does being the light look like for you? It's like Nadia. Our EEM leaders met Nadia and her husband Vladimir in a suburb of Moscow, Russia, several years ago. Nadia is an architect by training and education and was working as the city architect in the suburb of Zukovsky outside Moscow. And as the city architect, she held a prestigious, well-paying job but she had a heart for serving women who had been abused. 
And one morning at church, Nadia and Vladimir were sitting there, and, and her church announces that they are going to begin a new ministry, and it's going to be called the House of Hope, and it's going to be serving abused women, but they need someone to be the director of this new ministry. Well, you're not going to believe this if you're like me when you heard this story. Guess what the word Nadia means in Russian? Hope. So it's the house of Nadia that they're looking for a director for. Well, right then and there, and then as they go home, they only talk about it more. But Nadia says, this is a sign from God. I need to be the director. Well, obviously, Nadia has a huge heart, but, you know, they're married. So what's Vladimir going to say? And what's Vladimir going to say? Because Nadia's city architect job pays four times what his job pays. His quote, okay, I think that is great. Amazing faith on the spot. It's got to be the Lord. Let's do it. So Nadia and the House of Hope are now protecting and serving abused women and children, placing them in protective, secretive housing. Nadia and her staff provide clothes, food, Bibles, and spiritual healing, teaching, and community for all kinds of women and their children just outside Moscow. This is what being light looks like right now for Nadia and indirectly for Vladimir. So what does being the light look like for you? My coworker Demetrius in Greece said something last year that has stuck with me. He says, Day by day, when we read the Word of God, we change. Time spent in the Lord's presence, in His Word, in community, in worship, this is the key to our effectiveness in being light to the world. Amen? We can't do it without it. You may hear Nadia's story and be tempted like I was to think, I can't do that. I'm not sure my spouse would say yes to that. Okay, that's her calling. But what about Anton? If young Anton can invite his friends to his home and give them Bibles and Bible coloring books, and share the gospel joyfully with them, then all of us can shine the light in this dark world. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden, when he was just about to be arrested? John 18, it says he knew exactly what was happening, and he could even see Judas who was coming, his own apostle, betraying him. He knew. John 18, 4 and following, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So, he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and 
fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, perhaps with a different tone of voice, I'm not sure I wasn't there. Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. Jesus knew exactly what was happening to him, and yet did he run away? Did he shrink back even in the slightest? No, it says that he stepped forward. Stepped forward into the darkness of this moment. And what happens when light steps forward? (laughs) The people of darkness all fell down. For those of us this morning who are followers of Jesus, who've made the Lord your allegiance and have made that choice, I mean, Anton and Nadia are inspirational. They show us just two fantastic examples of being light in the world. And yet there's something far more powerful than the inspiration even of Anton and Nadia that God is giving us here this morning. The same spirit that filled Jesus at that dark moment in the garden. The same spirit that helped him say, Father, not my will, but yours. The same Holy Spirit that put breath back into Jesus' lungs when he was sealed in the tomb is the same all-powerful Holy Spirit of God that's living inside of you. And praise God living inside of me. So let us be bold, knowing that God himself is alive in us. This isn't about us. We make it that way far too often, but it's not. It's about him. It's about his power, his spirit leading us to be light. And to share the good news with everyone that God gives us the privilege of knowing. Whether that's in your own neighborhood here in Edmond or on the other side of God's earth or somewhere in between. So let us never forget the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, Jesus says, so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Would you please pray with me? Lord, help us to be a community that beams your light to all the world. Help us as spirit-filled followers of yours to spend time with you in your word and to let it strengthen us and lead us back out to share your good news with others. And Father, as we shine your light in the world, may those hungry for love, for forgiveness, for healing, for righteousness, and for joy not fall back, but lean forward to embrace the light of the world that is Jesus Christ. Father, give us your boldness and thank you for your spirit living in us. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you please be standing?